Friends, this is our third week in a sermon series entitled The Path, Getting From Here to There. The past couple of weeks, we have considered these truths, that God created each of us uniquely and that God believed the world was incomplete until we were created, that God calls each of us by name and has a unique purpose for our lives, and that nothing can depurpose us as God's dearly loved children. And thirdly, the sermon today and the next few are going to focus on how God equips us and partners with us so that we may achieve the purpose for our lives, the reason that we were created, as well as the smaller goals that fall under that rubric that we may set out to achieve. Last week, we spent some time considering that the most important factor of whether or not we achieve any goal that we set is the belief that it can be done, that it is, in fact, possible. And so we looked at the man who had been an invalid for decades and heard Jesus ask him, do you want to be made well? And he didn't answer yes immediately. He had lots of reasons that he had not been made well, but we were reminded that God asked each of us if we want to be made well and if we are ready to partner with God for what it is God wants to do in and through us. And today we're going to consider how important it is for us to have both the desire and the ability to envision whatever the desired outcome is, the future outcome, the there, if you will, and the from getting here to there, as well as the ability to establish and live in and out of the priorities that help us achieve that vision. Now, vision and priorities are really intertwined. In my mind, this is a case of which came first, the chicken or the egg. The two go together. Our priorities help determine our vision, and once we have the vision, that helps us determine whether or not we are able to adhere to our priorities. What we say is most important. So I'm going to begin by talking about the importance of vision, but hopefully you will hear clearly this idea that the two are intertwined. Beginning with the ability to envision the future or the desired outcome, this idea of vision. We see that both in Deuteronomy and in the gospel. Those passages that Pastor Valerie and Pastor Jared read, Deuteronomy is made clear that God is saying, you have the opportunity. I've led you out of slavery from Egypt into the being at the edge of the promised land, you have the ability to live freely and to prosper if you will but keep me at the center of your life. And then those two brief parables, the merchant who sells everything that he has in order that he can purchase that one pearl of great price, and the man who discovers a treasure in a field and sells everything so he can purchase that field. 
In both cases, they have a clear vision. That's their participation in the kingdom of heaven, but they know what they want. They want that treasure, and they want that pearl. Last week, on Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day in this country with its reminder of Dr. King's dream of his vision that justice would be a reality for all of God's children. You may remember the words in his speech, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It was a vision and a dream that led him to risk his life and ultimately to lose his life. But he was very clear about what his purpose was. Once we have our vision, we know our purpose, we know what goal or goals we want to accomplish, then we are able to begin to set to work to achieve them. And our vision may run the gamut. There are a lot of you who are listening to this sermon today. You may desire to have a better relationship or relationships. You may want to improve your physical or mental health. In fact, seeing a therapist was the number one New Year's resolution in the state of Tennessee, if you didn't know that. You may want to buy a home. You may want to get out of debt. You may be wanting to write a book. But whatever it is, once we figure out what the vision is and believe that it is possible to achieve it, maybe not because we think that we can, but because we know that someone else out there has achieved it and we trust that God is at work in us, then we are ready to take the next steps. A couple of years ago, there was a Doc Morris commercial in Germany that I hope to be able to figure out, maybe with the help of someone, to post on Facebook later today. It's been billed as the best Christmas commercial of all time. But in a nutshell, it opens with a man, an older gentleman, who wakes up sees his bed slippers, puts his feet in the slippers, and gets up and begins the day, looks at some different photographs. And as the commercial continues, we see, again, he's an elderly gentleman who has not been going to the gym every day, that he is determined to lift a weight, sort of a kettlebell thing. And so day after day, He's out trying to lift this. His neighbors look at him like he's crazy. They're peering over the fence. His daughter comes by and is thinking, what in the world is dad doing? And he lifts and he lifts and he works. And at the end of the commercial, we see him get dressed in nice attire and go to his daughter's house to celebrate Christmas with the family. And he has a small box with him that when opened, we see has a star in it, a star to go at the top of the Christmas tree. And then we see him pick up his granddaughter and hold her up to put the star at the top of the Christmas tree. And it is clear that that was the vision that he had all along that enabled him to set the priorities 
of exercising, lifting that weight day in and day out until he could achieve it. Scripture tells us that we are free to choose whether or not we partner with God, whether or not we work with God to make our vision come true. Deuteronomy, we are told that life or death, those are our choices and that our choices have consequences. We are free to say yes or no to God. God is always inviting us to say yes. And a corollary to that is that our ability to achieve our goals hinges upon what we say yes to and what we say no to. God allows us to choose what's really important and how we use the resources at our disposal, our time, our energy, our money. Now here, I would pause and give us a reality check that invites us to remember that we are finite beings and we cannot do everything. No matter how much we may aspire to do everything, we simply cannot do so. Oliver Berkman has written in a book entitled 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. But that isn't a reason for unremitting despair or for living in an anxiety-fueled panic about making the most of our limited time. It's actually a cause for relief. You get to give up on something that was always impossible. The quest to become the optimized, infinitely capable, emotionally invincible, fully independent person you are officially supposed to be. Then you get to roll up your sleeves and start work on what's gloriously possible instead. Or as poet Mary Oliver once wrote, we get to decide what we're going to do with our one wild and precious life. And after we have a vision, then we do this work of identifying and establishing our priorities. Now, your history lesson for the day comes to us from Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, if any of you have read that. And in this book, McEwen writes, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and for 500 years, it was singular, priority. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the word and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. People and companies routinely try to do just that. One leader told me of this experience in a company that talked of priority one, priority two, priority three, priority four, priority five. This gave the impression of many things being the priority, but actually meant that nothing was. And so we have to hone in and determine what is most important. We are invited to decide both what is the pearl of great price or the treasure that we are trying to attain as well as what smaller goals fit under that umbrella.
Well, how do we go about making that determination? We might begin by asking what our deepest desires are. And deepest desires most likely are going to fall under the category of having deep and meaningful connections, deep, meaningful relationships, quality of health. The Bible warns against replacement desires. Lust of the eyes, flesh, the boastful pride of life are all terms that the Bible addresses. And these might, we might think of cravings, of things that we see and that we immediately think we want. Our neighbor has a new car, well, we want a new car. Um, we see something on Instagram and we think, oh, we need to pursue that suddenly, even though it has not been on our list of things prior to that. Maybe we're striving for a promotion at work because we want to feel more important or bigger to cover up a feeling of inadequacy we have. But when we peel away all that and ask God to help us know what our deepest desires are, then we can gain clarity. Then comes the hard work, though, of laying aside those things that would choke out our priorities. And sometimes we know that these are the distractions, disruptions, diversions that may be pleasurable, but we can pretty easily recognize them as weeds. Sometimes it's more difficult because it's something that appears to be good, and we have to figure out what pruning we are called to do. Um, I think of a gardener who lops off some of the buds on a rose bush so that the remaining buds will be bigger and more beautiful. You get the idea. We know that there will always be distractions, diversions, disruptions. The question is whether or not we will allow them to keep us from getting from here to there. Again, to reference Greg McEwen, he says, it's not hard to see how this happens. The world conspires to keep us distracted, addicted even, to the latest update, to not pay attention. He also tells the story of a friend who contacted him and said, I always had this vision that I was going to teach and write books, but I've spent the last several years working in a software company. I don't know how that happened. I just started drifting. It wasn't intentional. And it is so easy to drift. It's almost as if the world has conspired to keep us perpetually distracted. The New York Times published the results of a survey of 12,000 workers worldwide some years ago, and it found that 70% of the workers felt they did not have regular time for creative or strategic thinking. Whenever we are constantly taxed by the trivial, we don't have the space to think. We can end up getting lost and spending years going in the wrong direction, like the executive who reached out to McEwen. What are some of the most obvious distractions? Well, they're emails, they're breaking news alerts, they're social media posts. According to EarthWeb, in 2022, the average person spent two hours and 30 minutes daily on social media. 
in 2022, Americans, on average, check their phones 344 times per day. That's a 31% increase from 2021, when we only check them 262 times per day. Our cell phone habit seems to be growing by the minute. We used to check our phones every five and a half minutes on average, but now we're down to just four minutes before codependency kicks in. Now, I know that's not true for all of us, but this is an average, friends. And so the average American spent nearly a month and a half, 44 days, on their phone in 2022. Over half of Americans have never gone longer than 24 hours without their cell phones. I'm really tempted to ask for a show of hands, but I'm not going to. I'm going to just put that out there. Our cell phones are our constant companions. As many as 71% of us check our phones within 10 minutes of waking up, and 74% of us can't leave our cell phones at home without feeling uneasy. And I will confess, I have been heading to this church when I'm like, oh, I don't have my cell phone. And I've turned around and got, because I mean, I, I need it for work. They, they might need to reach me. We can't imagine our little companions dying. 48% of people say they feel a sense of panic or anxiety when their cell phone battery goes below 20%. Over one third of Americans, now I find this difficult to believe, but I'm a pet lover. Over one third of Americans, 36%, say they'd give up their pets in order to keep their cell phone. 53% say that in a house fire or other disaster, their cell phone would be the number one possession they'd try to save. I'm just going to leave that right there. I am not anti-cell phone. I am not anti-social media. I am for our considering what role the, our smart devices play in our lives and whether they are helping us achieve our goals or they are hindering us from achieving our goals. The German psychologist Jan Suman shed some interesting light on how we, how easily we get distracted if we don't keep first things first, if we don't honor our priorities. As part of a research project, he took participants to the Sahara Desert and instructed them to walk in a straight line. Now, this sounds simple, right? You're just going to walk in a straight line. But it turned out to be complicated because some people walked on a cloudy day when the sun was hidden and they didn't have the sun as a point of reference. And those people walked in circles, retracing their steps without ever knowing it. Other participants did much better. These participants walked while the sun was shining with faraway reference points in view, and they were able to follow an almost perfectly straight course by keeping their eyes on what was most important. So, it is incumbent upon us to be able to name those things that crowd out our ability to achieve our vision. 
For some of us, it's pleasing people, pleasing others. Maybe it's a sense of guilt. Maybe it's busyness. All of these things that are expected of us. Are we able to clear out and make space and energy enough to pursue what our heart really desires? I think of that merchant who was buying the pearl of great price. We don't know, but indulge me for a minute. That perhaps he was offered amethyst, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, something else along the way that he could have purchased. Things that were beautiful. But he said no to all of them because he knew what he wanted, and that was to purchase the pearl of great price. And so he was able to stay focused. Sometimes it's those voices that we hear that no one knows that we listen to that cloud our vision, those feelings of fear or inadequacy, that someone's going to judge us, that we'll never be able to do it, and so we don't keep our eyes fixed and trust in God's ability to work through us. I dare say the majority of us need to work on our boundaries. I preached a sermon series that touched on boundaries last year, and I said, in all of my years of ministry, that's the sermon series that I got the most positive feedback from, and there wasn't an original thought. So um, maybe God thought I needed a lesson in humility along the way. But I think we have a difficult time setting boundaries, friends. We have to learn how to say no and what to say no to. So I've given you all of this background. Now I'm going to give you two possible courses of action to identify what might be keeping you from achieving your goals, from staying focused on your vision, or that's one path, and the other path is to become more clearly focused on your vision. The first is to use Henry Cloud's The Audit. It is a diagnostic tool that invites you to keep track of your time. And not just, oh, I spent two hours making phone calls. No, I spent this amount of time on this phone call and this was the purpose. Uh, the link to the audit is being dropped on Facebook at, today and it is also appearing on YouTube. And if you want it, I will be happy to send it to you just as a reality check to know how you are actually spending your time. The second is a matter of focus that again comes from Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism. He had a friend who was diagnosed with kidney cancer, and this was a wake-up call for his friend that led him to reorder his life. And he said, spend an hour and do these seven steps. So commit to an hour. The first step if possible, is to get out into nature where you can feel the natural pace of the earth and not the hyperactive and inhumane pace of modern life. And then the first step is to write down the question, what would I do if I only had a week left to live? Take 10 minutes to answer the question. 
What would I do if I only had a week left to live? The second question is, what would I do if I only had a month left to live? You know where this is going. The third question is, what would I do if I only had a year left to live? The fourth, what would I do if I only had five years left to live? And the fifth, what would I do if I only had a life left to live? For each question, spend 10 minutes writing your answer and then review it. Whether you do Cloud's time audit, whether you do McEwen's questions, whether you don't do either, my prayer for each of us is that we would take seriously the gift that God has given us and that we would make our one wild life and precious life count and that we would not rule out just what God wants to do through each of us and all of us together. Thanks be to God. Amen.